Hello, kind person seeking practical advice. You're listening to Invisible Office Hours with Paul Jarvis and Jason Zuck. All right, Paul, this episode has a non-sponsor as we're doing this season. And that non-sponsor is our mutual friend, Jeff Sheldon, who runs a company called Ugmunk, and he makes minimal, thoughtful things and apparel. And I have known Jeff since 2009. When I started my Irier shirt journey, we got connected somehow, probably just through Twitter. We exchanged some tweets and whatnot, and we just kind of stayed in touch over the years. And then now we have a almost standing monthly call where we talk about all the things we're working on. And I consider Jeff a friend. We met at a coffee shop here where I live. And he's just such a creative guy, and I was so excited to talk about him and gush over this new product that he created because we've been talking about it for, I think, two and a half, three years as of recording this show. Like, that's how long he's been working on this thing. I think it shows. And this is the Gather System. It is a minimal modular organizer, desk organizer, but it can be used for so many other things. But essentially, it's a wood base with these really nice, high-quality little organization things that kind of sit on top of it, and you can move them around. And I love it. I got my gather. I was one of the few people to get their gather early so I could give them feedback on the packaging and the shipping and all that stuff. And Paul, I just have to say, the like OCD clean desk part of me just absolutely loves gather. Like, my desk was not dirty before this. But it now, like, everything fits in one place, and it's so nice. Yeah. I mean, the one thing I have to say is Jeff's wood. I really like Jeff's wood. <laughs> <laughs> As you were about to say that, yeah, you knew, well, you, going, you knew it was so going to that. It. Because it, So there's walnut yeah. and maple. I What one did you get? I got the walnut, because I got one as well. Yeah, I got one of each just because I wanted to have the difference. And I actually haven't used the second one. I don't know what we're going to use it for. I may just give it away to do something fun with it. But I use the walnut one. I like the walnut. Same. And I have a walnut desk because I'm a a wood nerd. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. As you have your reclaimed wood wall behind you. Yes. Yeah. So I think everybody should, if you're looking for an organizer for your desk, for the front of your house, for your kitchen, for wherever you need to put things like phones or post-it notes or pens or what have yous or whatnots or whizzy wigs, check out gathersystem.com. They are the official non-sponsor of this episode of Invisible Office Hours. Perfect. I loved it. That was great. Hello, 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 Jason and beautiful listeners. Hello, Paul Jarvis. This is the episode where we go through all the shit that we're working on, which is, it's kind of interesting. I, I would wonder if we put these like back to back and you listen to them, if there were ebbs and flows, we're like, oh, we weren't really working on much. Oh, we're working on a lot. Or if it was just always we're working on a lot, because I have a feeling it's always we're working on a lot. I think so. Yeah. Uh, I'm, you know, I think last time we kind of just like each ran through all of our stuff. So I would say let's start with you and because I think it's really interesting that you have really ventured into the software world here quite a bit. Uh, you, you have quite a few bits of software pieces going on. So let's go through a rundown of all of them. And hopefully I will remember to ask you about all the things uh, that you're currently working on or have been working on or maybe you're kind of winding down. Yeah. So right now... Because as of recording this, my book isn't out or pre-orderable yet, and I've already done all the things I need to do to get ready for it up until 
closer to the date, I was like, maybe I'll start some new projects. So I started Fathom, which is an open source and then a little bit more later analytics platform that really considers things like privacy. So the website owner privacy as well as website visitor privacy. And it's just fucking simple. Like, I don't know about you, but I look in Google Analytics and there's like 186,000 screens. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. And I'm like, okay, just I give up. I'm allergic to Google Analytics. I've decided. Like, oh, I man. have an allergy. Like, I go in there and I'm just like, eh, I got to get away. I need to run some reports against other reports. And I was like, <laughs> I don't uh. care. So, Fathom is just very simple, human <laughs> focused analytics. <laughs> and that is going to be open source version one and then hosted, uh, paid. Like we hosted do everything um version two. So the open source one is really for the nerds. Yeah. And then the version two is for people like me. Yeah. Like I I don't know how to I don't know how to do any of this. Just give me one line of code that I can put on my site and I can have these beautiful analytics and I'll be good to go. Exactly. And I mean the thought with it the thought with everything that I'm doing lately is that and this is something in the news, it's not like I came up with this, but it's something in the news. It's something that I think his name is Tristan Harris, uh that like user design technology ethics guy. Yeah. I talked about it in a New York Times article. It's just that if you aren't paying for the product, you are the product. Yeah. And that just keeps like rolling around in my brain how we take for granted that the things that we think are free are free. And I don't actually think they are. Like I think the trade-off for say using Facebook costs too much to use, even though you don't specifically like put your credit card in and pay like $8.99 a month or whatever Netflix costs now. Similar to that, where it's been something that's been on my mind. Well, I think what's really interesting about Fathom specifically is that it, it where it started. So I know the idea of where it started. You just explained that. But like where it actually gained some traction was you shared this, this just screenshot of it and this tweet. And the tweet kind of went nuts. And a bunch of people were like, oh, I love this. I love this. And I've known that there's been... Some type of need for a beautiful analytics platform. We both used GoSquared. I think I found GoSquared through you a couple of years ago. And yeah. we both loved GoSquared. It was great. It was really well designed. And it, you know, got you out of Google Analytics. But now they're trying to do the, like, we are, you know, managing all of your customer interactions, like a live chat. And you can follow people. And you can, it's like a CRM. And it's like, hey, what happened to just, like, the beautiful, simple analytics? So this tweet, yeah. I think, really proved that people do want that. And they don't need all the extra stuff. And that there might be something here. Now. That doesn't mean people are paying for it yet, which I think nope. is always the interesting caveat of like, yeah, that's exciting and it got you some momentum, but that was ni- a nice kickoff, I think, for that project. Yeah, and it really, like that tweet currently has almost 500 likes, 100 retweets and 55 comments. And it's not a snarky tweet. <laughs> it's like, no, a- it's, it's not for me. That's kind of weird. Yeah. It had the mailing list has just under a thousand people signed up for it. Which again, like that's not people paying for the right. software, but it just shows that people are interested in this. Yeah, People are interested in simple analytics that maybe you pay a little bit for. And I think that's another thing that GoSquare did. Like now they're focused on enterprise. So their plan started a hundred bucks a yeah. month. Yeah, And I mean, that's good for them for pivoting in a direction where they've found a niche and they're working for it. But that doesn't work for me. Like I don't want to spend a hundred dollars a month on analytics. Yeah. It's too much money. Yeah. And I think it's interesting. I mean, we'll talk about Spruce for me in a bit when we do that. But this is kind of what I wanted to do with Spruce was to basically like pull in the analytics from Google Analytics that actually matter. And and it's mm-hmm. the stuff of like, what are the pages that are getting traffic? How many people are showing up? What are those people doing? And I know you have some thoughts and ideas, but you have to kind of start small. 
Uh, but I do think that this is just such an interesting thing that there is a niche of us on the internet who don't care about like all of the conversion data, all the things like that's important. But I think just in some respects, it's like, just tell me how my site's doing. And like, yeah. wh- what can I see that I need to either make improvements on or at least know that something is good or bad? Yeah. And I mean, the other thing is that what Spruce is doing, I think is super useful. But I think that like, I don't like what Google's doing with analytics because then they use that data to sell for remarketing. Right. And like, they use that data for so many other things. Like Google knows so much about like I don't even use Google as my search engine anymore. Really? What do you use? Just DuckDuckGo. It fucking sucks. But like <laughs> Really? That's interesting. What about searching what about searching uh in an incognito window? Yeah, I could, but like it's annoying to open an incognito window. I just have DuckDuckGo as my default blank tab. Wow. Opener now. So. Big news, big news. Yeah, it just feels like Google is learning too much about us by just giving like here's some free stuff. Here's free like even using Proton Mail for I don't use Proton Mail for my main mail account yet, but I'll probably switch to that eventually. But just like here's all these free things. And they took out don't be evil from their mission statement Ooh. or from their like corporate mandate as well. They're like, uh, and then a bunch of people quit Google because they were doing some stuff with like the Department of Defense and missile AI and just like Maybe I just want to back away from this slowly, just a little bit. Whoa, so. things you didn't think you would hear when we talk about our business yeah. updates. Um, exactly. Okay, I am, I'm looking at my audio real quick here, and like, I'm just talking, and it's like randomly peaking, and I don't know why, but hopefully Julian can fix that. So, I don't know, we can leave this in. We don't even have to have Julie, Julian edit it out. Julian's our awesome podcast editor, by the way. Shout out to Julian. <laughs> Okay, let's go on to uh, let's go on to the next thing that you're working on. What do you want to talk about next? Pico. You mean platforming? I mean Pico. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually like how this one started as well. All, all these things have such interesting starts, right? So I'll let you you take it from here. But basically, you're replacing Medium and you're trying to become Ev Williams. That's what I gathered. Yes, <laughs> Ev Williams tried to fix the internet. It didn't work. <laughs> I think I can do it. <laughs> the end. <laughs> no, so like, and again, it comes down to like scratching my own itch and seeing an itch that everybody, like everybody complains about Medium right now because it fucking sucks. Yeah. Like it used to be really good. It you They used to do one thing really well. Now it's just like every other site on the internet. Like I go to the site, there's a pop-up, I close the pop-up, there's another dialogue. I read three articles on there and then it's like, oh, I can't read anymore. I need to, it's just like, yeah. What the fuck is going on? Like yeah. it they took something that worked really well, was really simple that everybody loved and changed it completely. Yeah. And like they have a bunch of, they've raised so much money. Yeah. Like I'm just looking at the technology required to run Medium outside of all the like big data and like weird analytics stuff and what they probably sell to advertisers and all of that, but just like the actual software that users see isn't that complicated. Yeah. Because it's just an editor. Yeah, two people can make it. So two people are making it. So I, uh, I I sent you a message after I saw that you announced this. Also, like I find out about your new projects on Twitter, which just makes me so mad. <laughs> but it's okay. I understand. Uh, you know, that's where all your friends are. So Fathom, I had the idea on a Saturday. I researched it on Saturday. I designed the mock-up and tweeted about it on <laughs> Sunday. And that was like I that was like starting the project. Same with um, Pico or Platformic, what it was called previously. It was like, I logged into Medium and I was just like, I'm done. I'm deleting my account. I'm so pissed off. I went on a Twitter 
and I know I just happened to log in and like a bunch of people were tweeting about how much they hated medium. I'm like, okay, I'll make one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I'm, I'm really excited. And I, I saw this from a couple people when I first saw it announced in like the thread, the replies that who were like, Oh, this is kind of like medium meets Patreon the way that you're thinking about it. Yeah. And I really think that there's an interesting model there. I mean, I think Patreon has really done some great stuff. And Jack Conti, the guy who is the CEO of Patreon, is such an interesting dude. If anybody listening to this has been or has followed, because it may not be as exciting anymore, but his kind of interaction with Casey Neistat, and he made this like Dear Casey Neistat video of how he wants to help kind of shift the creator space on the internet and like how people are being supported. And I think they're going to cross a billion dollars in patronage in the next couple years, Whoa. which is kind of crazy. I mean, really, really, it's crazy. Yeah. But um, so I think this model is is really an interesting one. And, and I'm kind of shocked that Medium didn't... I haven't said what the model is. I, I know, I know. I, I'm kind of shocked that Medium didn't do something like this. I'll be curious to see if they do roll something out like that. And, and I definitely want you to explain what it is. But the one thing I was going to say before that is like, it really sucks to see a company like Medium when it started. And this is what you see all the time, right? When it started, they're like, we have investors, but they're not concerned about making money. They just want to, you know, they want to change the internet, they want to change how things are done. And then all of a sudden, guess what happens four or five years later? We have pop-ups, we have membership subscriptions. It's basically like New York Times all over again. Third of the staff gets laid off yeah, at media. Exactly. And it's just like, man, this really sucks. You know, like there is a better way to do it. Now, granted, you know, I think they're trying to do a much bigger thing than, than you or I typically are in our projects. Like we just want to solve some small problem. But anyway, let's talk about the the patronage model that you're you're doing because I do think it's interesting. I'm pretty sure it's going to evolve over time because you need people to actually be using it. But I like where it's starting. Yeah. So we figured that, like, it obviously has to make money, and I think the wait, hold on, the th- why, <laughs> why? But I think that because we don't want in- because we don't want investors or VC money. I'm joking, but I'm also serious. It's such a sad state of affairs when it's like you have to explain yourself when you say you want to be profitable from the beginning. Yeah. Like people are like, how does that work? Like, how does that not work? I think this is really interesting because it's it's such a, a shift for a lot of people to think like, where's my free version? Why can't you know, like what you know what's going on here? So it will be free, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, but go ahead and keep going because I just wanted to. Yeah. The way that it works, and I obviously have to get better at talking about this, but since I basically just started this project with my buddy Jack, um, you basically, if you want to read, you can read everything on the site for free. There's no pop-ups or like, you have one of five articles left to read. Like, fuck all that. Everybody so remember we, this moment in three years when there's only... <laughs> just kidding. When we have like, when we've done like four rounds of $100 million <laughs> investments, no, not going to happen. So basically, if you want to write, it's $6 a month. And either you pay for that or any reader can say... I like Jason's writing on Pico. I'm going to chip in six bucks to yeah. cover his next month. Or I'm going to chip in 18 bucks to cover his next three months. And then your credit card doesn't get charged for that until, until your supporters have, haven't paid for more months. So either you pay for your own writing account or your readers pay for your writing account. And I think that that's... Um, yeah, it's interesting. I haven't seen that done before. And the other thing is we're trying to be like... I was talking to somebody yesterday. We're trying to be medium but decent. Yeah. So if you sign up for a writer account and you pay for like a month, you pay your six dollars for a month, and then you're like, okay, I can't afford it or I don't want to use it. We don't delete your back catalog. Yeah. All of the articles you've written stay online forever. You just can't write new stuff unless your account is being paid for by yourself or by somebody else. Yeah. Which, by the way, is six dollars a month. Like, come on. Come on. I think it's affordable. But that's the thing. Like it needs to, yeah, like it needs to support itself because 
and that's the thing. Like people are always like, oh, it's too much money or this should be free. And it's like, well, one, it's not free. We already covered that in my tirade about Google Analytics. <laughs> but two, like if a company is profitable, it's infinite. Like as long as a company is still making money, it can go on forever. Customers should want a business to continue to be profitable. It's in their best interest as well. Like maybe not too much profitable where there's like greed, but like fucking six dollars. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. You should you should be able to uh, to handle that. What I was going to ask you was, so how will it work for someone, let's say like you, who's going to be a very popular writer on Pico, and people are going to be contributing to you often. Let's say you you create a bank of like six hundred dollars contributed in your first month. Does Pico hold that money forever and doesn't let you have it, or are you going to have an option to kind of cash out so you actually do get paid for the work you're doing? Yeah, that's tricky because that would fuck with our cash flow as a business. If people could just like cash out, if they said, "Okay, I don't want this money to go to Pico, I just want this money," then that kind of messes with forecasting for us. So. That could change because it could get ridiculous. Like it could be like probably not me, probably somebody more popular where they have like 18,000 months paid for. Then that, does, like, that doesn't really make sense. But we still haven't come up with... Because this is investing in that writer long term on this platform and investing in the platform long term. So I do understand what you're saying. And it may just be that... People can, and this definitely isn't version one, but it could be that people pay the $6, but they could pay more. And then the more goes directly to the, the writer. Because it would be cool if writers could actually get paid like on the platform instead of just getting their costs covered. But like, I can't see the $6 fee for our system ever being able for us to give that to a writer because then that, then that messes with profits and longevity. Yeah, I think it'll be an interesting problem to solve. It's it's the one that like yeah. when Caroline and I were talking about this, my wife Caroline, for those of you who are uninitiated to invisible officers and our family members, it, it was the one thing where I kept thinking about like, you know, if if I do push people to this and I have maybe something specific that I am writing on Pico where people could support me, I would like it to be a profit generator for myself as well and that work and not just be something that Pico benefits from, even though I think that's great. I just feel like let's say I have a surplus of like six hundred dollars, like I said. I mean, that would cover my account for an incredibly long time. I don't need that to sit there forever, you know? And I feel like there's a way where you could figure that out where you could be like, do you want to cash out? Like, we need you to save one year of runway or something. And, and I think there's probably some yeah. way you guys will kind of solve that. But that was just one of the questions. I that just makes it complicated, though. And we're trying to go for simple. True. At the start. True, for sure. Things are going to obviously evolve, but we want them to evolve for decent reasons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. So yeah, we, I don't have an answer to that yet, but I do see that as being a ridiculous situation where somebody has like 600 months paid for and yeah. it's like, that's cool, but right. we could probably figure something out there. But yeah, we haven't figured that out yet. Interesting. Okay, cool. What's your timeline on those things coming out? Because those are the two big ones that, that just popped up. Yeah, Fathom version one, probably by the time this airs. Um, and that's for the nerds, not for the people like Yeah, me. that's for the yeah. nerds. Probably a couple more months for the hosted version, platformic, probably a month or two for closed beta, and then a month or two till it's out. So yeah, cup like this year. Well, we're aiming for this year for both things to be actually like not in beta, not closed, like just open for people to use. But we shall see. And are there revenue goals that you're setting for these new software companies? <laughs> What's a revenue goal? <laughs> 
I don't know. Well, it, so this is where I think it's interesting. So if we want to talk about fixed tail and WP complete, I think it would be fun to talk about those two things and maybe even come back around to this discussion about revenue goals. Cause I think it could be interesting just to chat about how those things, you know, we, we don't think about those things often, but I do think they become a deciding factor of if something is going to continue to exist. Yeah. So I make money on other stuff, but at the same time, like these are business endeavors. So like, at the bare minimum, I need them to cover their own costs, which isn't very much. Like it's a couple servers and some credits on from email. But I can spend the more they make, the more I can spend time on them. The more they go from like side project to, oh, hey, this is generating a decent amount of income. I can like actually see it in my chart of what I make on each project. Then I can spend more time on it. And if one of these like actually really took off, then I would spend way more time on it and slide down all the other things that I do. But like, I don't really have goals for that. If we got a couple hundred people to start using Pico and a couple hundred people to start paying for Fathom, it's not going to be that much money every month. It's a couple grand each month. It isn't enough two people to live on. But it's a good start. Like That shows that there's enough reason. Like That's all. WP Complete does a, does a couple grand a month. And that's enough for us to like keep going on that. It's enough to make it worth our while to keep doing updates. Yeah. And to answer unending support emails and like yeah. all of those things. Yeah. Well, th- and that's what I was going to bring up. So specifically, we have a, a piece of software called Your Pack. And so we created this, I don't even know, a year and a half ago, two years ago now. It's It's been a while. And what we realized was, you know, the idea was interesting, I thought, uh, because it was my idea. And we built it with Zach and... We really didn't get any traction for it at all. We didn't get anyone to sign up. And, and I think we ended up having, a, at one point, like our peak was, I don't know, 10 or 15 paying customers or something. Like it wasn't very many at all. And I think, you know, we didn't start out with revenue goals for, for your pack, but we realized, hey, the amount of money that we're making, which was, you know, a couple hundred dollars a month, while it covered our server costs and all these things that you were just talking about, what it really didn't cover was the amount of output we had to do for the customer support. So like every customer had questions, every customer wanted new features, you know, we had all these different things. But when you only have 10 to 15 paying customers, it's not even worth it to, to continue doing that. So we really, you know, we didn't shut your pack down. It still exists. I actually still use it. It kind of has just dwindled. And so I'm, I'm wondering from you if there is an answer here, because I really believe you're a lot like me. You can only take on so many things. You can only run so many things. You know, right now you have four software products two that are existing and two that are uh, being built. Do you feel like you can run all four of them at the same time if it's a couple hundred users in each and that'll be sustainable for you to keep up with? Or do you feel like if you have four kind of the same level that, that you have now with the other two, would you shut either of those other ones down? Not that you have to pick one of your your babies to get rid of here, Paul. That's not what I'm saying, but I'm just curious if you've thought about that. Why do you use cute? The other three are ugly. <laughs> What are the two? I have WP Complete and what? Fixed Tail. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Did you forget about a project you have? So here's the thing. So the only reason why I haven't pushed hard to shut down your pack, even though I've said that I want to shut down your pack, yeah. is there isn't really any support. Right. Fixed Tail's the same. We get maybe one email a month yeah. with support requests. So I don't care. Like That's generating... Under a thousand, it's probably generating four or five hundred bucks a month. Yep. But WP Complete generates a handful of support requests per day. 
Yeah. So if that wasn't making thousands a month, I'd be like, okay, well, we had to pull back from that. So it depends on the cost of maintenance in terms of time maintenance. Yeah. Because if I had 10 fixed tails, 10 emails a month, I don't care. Yeah. But if I had 10 WP completes, couldn't do it. Yeah. And what I found as well, what I learned my lesson with WP Complete, even though I love it, and even though there's no plans to get rid of it, because it does it does its job really well. People just keep asking for the weirdest. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. I don't run a course. I run this like other thing, and I want to yep. attach it to these like eighteen. I'm like, what are you doing? We if we can't do that. But the problem is like, welcome to ninety percent of my support emails with teachery. But teachery is different, and you're gonna have to answer this as well. Is Almost all of the support requests for WP Complete, because it's a WordPress plugin, have to do with WordPress and not with our plugin. Right. So I end up fixing people's servers, WordPress, fixing people's WordPress yeah. installs, fixing other <laughs> plugins, like fixing how our plugin works with other plugins, even though our plugin is right. Yeah. Other plugins like anonymize data in meta fields. And I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. So most of the support requests are us doing things that we shouldn't have to support, but we want our customers' courses to work, so we're going to fix it, right? Yeah. Whereas like fixed tail or fucking hell, whereas <laughs> Pico and Fathom <laughs> are their own systems. Like they don't require WordPress or anything else to run. Yeah. So I'm hoping there's like with Fathom, there's no, there, we don't even have settings. Yeah. All you can do is add code to your site for the tracker to work. Yeah. You can't do anything else. So there's not going to be that much to support. So, but yeah, like I'm not going to run four software products forever. Yeah. I'm going to kill some, some off eventually the, if the one ugly, starts to do really ones. well. The ugly ones. The ugly ones. No, I, I just think this is Wasn't really... that from Strong Bad? <laughs> yeah, Strong Bad. Yes. <laughs> the ugly ones. The ugly ones. I, yeah, I just think this is really interesting. I mean, like I said to you on Slack, like I feel like you've shifted into what I was doing, you know, about a year ago where I'm just juggling all these software products. And I think what, uh, and I'm not trying to like, you know, put this on you, but what I realized for myself was even with a fixed tail product where you get one email a month, the mental energy that it takes just to keep that product somewhere in your brain meets it really does take something out of you. And, and I realized that for myself, that thinking about some of these things, it really just kind of like pulls at me a little bit. Um, so I, I don't know, I'll just be curious. And again, like, I don't want you to have to shut these things down. I think you're making beautiful things. And I think you're making awesome stuff. I just feel like as a solo creator who doesn't have a team of people, yeah. which is going to lead nicely into our next thing that you're working on, um, it's just hard to juggle all that stuff. So yeah, and I have killed off a bunch of other projects that weren't working to be able to do these ones. So which are let's go through those real quick before we move into the big kahuna. A bunch of courses that I don't want to support any. Well, that I don't want to sell. That like they do well, customers like them, but they don't sell. If Chimp Essentials and Creative Class are doing just shy of a hundred k a year each sometimes more and my other ones are doing 40, 30, 40 K. And it's all relative. Cause if somebody right. was like, didn't have a product and it made $30,000, they'd be like, yes. And I would be like, fucking do that shit. Right. But when it's comparative, when I'm like, Hey, these babies are making me all of the money. And these, ba <laughs> I don't know why we're on the babies train, but like business babies, business babies. Yeah. So like, I'm probably not going to open grow your audience again. I'm probably just going to leave that on an automation funnel. Yeah. I think the course is great and people that take it, love it, but it doesn't make nearly as much money as my other courses. We killed off Finish Your Damn Book. 
Yeah. I killed off write your damn book. We killed off, or we didn't even really kill them off. We just shut them down. Like how? Yeah. How, how dare, dare you? you? Yep. Yeah. So you just have to do it, and it's not that they suck. It's just that like you only have a finite amount of time. Yeah. To do these things. Yeah. Okay. Let's move into company of one. Unless there's any other secret software products you're building. Oh God, there's like half that. No, just kidding. There's only two. I can't take on anything else unless I kill off two other things as my deal with myself. Nice. I have to kill two things to, to do give birth one to thing. one. Yeah. Yeah. We're just, uh, everything's going to be babies now. All right. So company of one, the book is completely finished. Everything is done. You're literally just in a holding pattern until the publisher fits it into their schedule, right? Yeah, well, it, it comes out January 15 next year. A pre-order is October 15 this year. Cool. Yeah, but I finished writing it last fall. It finished being edited and copy edited and everything, uh, I think, in January. So yeah, it's just waiting, but also like lining everything up, like getting all the PR in order, getting all the like podcasts, yeah. appearances in order, figuring out, like writing out all the strips. Last week, I wrote out most of the automation sequences and emails around the course, and I think it's like 30,000 words. Oof. So there's a whole course that goes along with Company of One as well, the book? Yeah, and the yeah, and a community, yeah. yeah, and a podcast. So that's kind of taking the creative class model of how that evolved into like its own thing. Are you looking at it kind of the same way? In what regard? How's it? Yeah, so it'll have its own course. It'll have its own podcast. It'll yeah, yeah, have yeah. an open and closed launch. Um, well, it's just going to be open to start because the book launches. So like, it'll probably go to open close after the book's been out for a while. But if the book's out and people are buying it, I just like, eh, if you want it, take it. Yeah. And does the course accompany the book specifically? Or is it kind of its own thing that you don't have to do in tandem with the book? It's its own thing, but it's better if you read the book first. Cool. But it's not a duplicate because con- I was like, well, what, what would make sense? Like, it's not a duplicate of the content. So it's new content. It definitely touches on a lot of the same ideas, but it is its own thing. Yeah. Read the, the book is going to be like $20 <laughs> yeah. or 30 I don't even know how much it costs. And if people complain about the price, I don't care because I can't set that. Yeah, exactly. So what's have you decided on the course price? Yeah, I think the course to start at least is going to be 100 bucks. It'll okay. be 50 bucks if you buy the book and free if you buy more than five books. Cool. Are you doing this with the publisher or is this your own thing no, that you can do on the side? <laughs> I want to make money on yeah. my book. So this is how you make money on a book is by selling something that isn't the book. <laughs> because I make 8%. I make 8% on the book. So yeah. after I earn out my advance. Right. But it's really hard for books to make money. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It becomes so, a conduit to something else, just like a podcast. Yeah. Right. Like it's the same And even thing. people who are like, oh, well, you got like a six figure book deal and stuff. It's like. I got six figures to spend two years of my life basically working on something full time, which is a quarter pay cut from what I make on other stuff. Yeah. So I'm actually losing money publishing that book. But this book, I think, is so important. And it's like the biggest and most exciting project I've ever done. So I wanted to do that because I think it'll pay off. Yeah. But like people are like, oh, you got such a great book. And it's like that money has to last a long time. Plus, you don't even get paid all that money in the beginning. Yeah. It's really interesting just like when you break things down and you kind of learn like, oh, okay, like uh, let's say it's $100,000 for an even number. Like, oh, Paul, you made $100,000. Like, okay, hold on. My agent gets some of that. Yep. I get a sum up front. I get some at certain milestones. I get some when the book is finally published. And then I don't earn another dollar on any sale of the book until it's sold recouping that advance. 
and then like net one twenty or something. Like it takes a while, to get right, paid. to get to get the actual payments. Yeah, and yeah. so I, I think that's just it's a really interesting thing, and I'm now learning about it myself in my own process of of my we'll book. Get, but we'll get there. yeah, 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 yeah. I think it's really interesting to people. Like all you think about is, oh, Paul made a hundred thousand dollars. It's like. No, in this example of $100,000 I'm giving you, it's not at all like that. Like it's broken. And like you said, two years. So again, like extrapolate that out. You're now making a salary of $50,000 a year, but you're not even making that much. So I I just think it's interesting to actually look through that and think about that. Yeah, because a percent, like you said, goes to your agent. You're expected to hire your own PR, which I'm finding is like $15,000 to $25,000 for decent PR. Like it dwindles. Yeah, yeah. Authors have to pay for their own indexing for the book. So like the index notes at the back, that comes out as well. So like people like, oh, yeah, this author got all this money. It's like, not really, friends. Yeah, it's interesting. That's why you fight for as much as you can up front because you're going to have all these concessions. Yeah. All right. Business-wise, anything else you want to talk about? I think since we recorded the last season, you went through and did a redesign of all of your stuff and kind of went to this simplified design, which you've talked about for a while. Yeah. How has that felt? For those of you who have checked out Chimp Essentials, Grow Your Audience, does Creative Class follow the same thing? It's a little no, different, right? Yeah. It's a little different, yeah. I had just redesigned it the, a few weeks before I redesigned my main WordPress theme. So I was like, I'm just going to leave it. Yeah. So how has this consolidation of design and kind of branding across all these things done, felt, gone? Um, I think pretty well. Like I, the, nothing loads like on my site other than the content and a tiny bit of HTML, CSS, and the Fathom script, which is async, so it doesn't take any load. More than half of <laughs> fuck Google, <laughs> blah blah blah. Google makes up for more than half of my referrers. I was just gonna ask. So, have you noticed? So, it's been enough time, probably. Have you noticed a bump at all in organic traffic? Yep. So specifically, I think the structured data I have, which nerds are going to understand if you're not a nerd, there's plugins for that and AMP pages. So even though I hate AMP. What is an AMP page for those of us who are uninitiated? uh, Mobile accelerated pages. Gotcha. But my site is actually faster and loads less stuff without AMP (laughs) than it does with AMP. That's a bit of a like oddball that most sites aren't like that. Yeah. But... It's interesting. Yeah. Well, it's cool. Yeah, I'm actually very kind of curious to see the chart of organic traffic for you because we've talked about this on multiple occasions in our in our little Slack channel. As we're moving our content for our new thing, our pages are actually going to get a little bit more bloated than they were. And that's just because like we're making the decision of like, we'll sacrifice some Google traffic for the fact that we want to be so proud of like this looking so unique and different. And I think that that's a trade-off that you you kind of decide if you want to make or not. Yeah. You know what the top search is to find my website? Oh, I think you showed me this and I can't remember what it is. What is it? Stop doing shit. (laughs) That's a good one. That's a pretty good one. I get, and it probably, like, it doesn't convert to mailing list subscribers. Like, I look at the number of subscribers that signed up on slash shit. Yeah. And it's not very many, (laughs) but like, it's like hundreds of people a week. Yeah. Googling stop doing shit. Yep. And my page is number one. That's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Well, that's like for me, my number one traffic driver is the social media detox post. And that's, I mean, easily 70% of my traffic every year is that post alone. And it's just insane how many people are searching for that now. So that's something you can see in Fathom as well. I know. Is your top pages by. I'm excited. Well, yeah. In in the new Spruce, what we wanted to do was kind of pull up things that are trending. So, like something that like we look at a certain amount of times, like this month versus last month, like, oh, 
there's a 400% increase on this page. You should probably go look at it. So it's, I know we already talked about that for Fathom as well. So it could be fun to see that. Nice. Let's move on to you, I guess. I don't think you have anything else, do you? God, I hope not. That's a lot of stuff. <laughs> it is really interesting, though, just talking to you and knowing you and, and having conversations with you for years now. It's like you really do have this ebb and flow of working a lot and taking on a lot of projects and then just saying, like, fuck everything and yep. I'm not doing anything. Like, it's a really interesting curve that you go through. But I think it's just, I don't know, that's kind of what it's like to be an independent creator. You, you just get into those modes where you have all these things you want to build and then you get really tired of it and you'd want to break. Yeah, exactly. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I, for the longest time, I was like, oh, I got to stop taking on so much. And I was like, no. Yeah. I just have to kill things off faster that aren't working out. Yeah. Yeah. Because I like doing new stuff. Like, yeah. I love the act of making something from nothing on the internet. Yeah. I think we That's just fun. I think we would both agree in the fact that we love the the ideation, creation, and launch process more than we give a shit about the revenue generating, marketing, and promotion process. Like yeah. if I could just get paid a crap load of money to like put ideas out into the world, make them fun and interesting, and then move on to the next one, I would be all for that. But it's the, all the other stuff that actually lets you be able to continue to do that. So you kind of have to do it's a necessary evil, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. So first I want to get the non-business stuff out of the way, then Ooh. move into the business Ooh, stuff. Oh, we didn't even do any non-business stuff for you. I don't have any non-business stuff, right. so it's easy. All right. Um, are you still vegan? That was like such a big thing last season. 100%. 100%. Very, yes. very uh, happy and excited. You know, it's it's interesting, and I talked about this in the last last season when we brought this up. That book, Eating Animals, I mean, it just changed my life. Like, it it was not a book where and I would highly, highly, highly recommend anybody read that book. That book does not go out to say, hey, become a vegan. That book goes out to say, why do we have the meat-eating traditions that we do? Specifically, Thanksgiving is what the author uh, kind of goes down the rabbit hole of. And then he like uncovers all this stuff. But for me, it is so much... I mean, it's just so many reasons why I don't eat meat anymore. And I was such a prolific meat eater before that. I mean, like three times a day at least, I would be having some semblance of meat up in a year and a half ago. So my wife and I have been vegan. We're, we're pretty much like, I would say 90% vegan at home is a fair way to say it because every once in a while, some cheese ends up in our house. Not a lot of dairy. It just magically appears. Like, well, where did it's this like, come from? Yeah, perfect example is uh, <laughs> she had a girlfriend's trip. So like her five girlfriends came into town and none of them are vegan. So she was like, well, I'll do a cheese board because like everyone loves cheese board. It's super easy. And we weren't going to allow anyone to have any meat in the house, which I think was a fair rule because it's our house. She ended up buying some cheese. And then we're like, well, like, we don't have to throw it all away. Like, we could just have like a bite or two. And then we could we already bought it, you know, it's already there. And I do. I feel bad about that stuff, to be honest. Like, I honestly do feel like legitimately. As you should. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Actually, I don't care. No, and, and I, I feel the same way now, right? Like, now that it's been a year and a half, you know, when I was first starting to talk to people and like, they were just, they didn't, they wouldn't even have a conversation with me about it. Like, now I get it. Like, this is what you told me when I first got started. You know, I was super jazzed about it. It was like, oh, I love new vegans. Like, they're all excited. But no, we we stick to it, like, pretty religiously at home. And then we eat out. I mean, honestly, the, the only thing that we run into is, um, like, a random fish sauce here or there. When you just, like, we'll go to, a, a uh, like, a, our favorite little sushi. And it's like a noodle bar here. And there's, like, a roasted cauliflower dish. And it's, like, roasted cauliflower with chili paste. And I didn't even think to ask, but it came and it had like this really translucent sauce. And I was like, oh, I think this is fish sauce. And like I took a bite because I was like, I'm not sure. I'm like, yep, that's 100%. And so it's like those things you run into by accident. It's not by choice. Yeah. And so those are things where we've just had to learn, you know, and and so a lot of times we just ask and we make sure. 
But then, yeah, like we'll go and get a pizza every once in a while and it'll have regular cheese on it. Because truthfully, for me, and this is where I think it's just an interesting topic of discussion. We could do a whole episode about this. Like if I'm going for like what's worse for like me as a human, is it the processed fake cheese or is it like the real actual thing that came from another animal? And in some respects, when I'm making that decision of like once a month to have like a real pizza, I'm like, I kind of want the thing that I don't like. I, I at least know where this comes from and I'm putting this in my body. You know, like that's an interesting thing for me. Although there are some really good cashew cheeses that are True. just cashews and spices. Totally. Yeah. But like, you know, <laughs> the majority of restaurants don't take the time to make that stuff. They just buy the processed crap and they're like, oh, it's Daya or whatever. Yeah. When a restaurant does make a cashew cheese, like I'm, we're so excited about it. They do such a good job. So. There is a pizza place here that does a cashew cheese. That's a local cashew cheese too, and I'm just like, what? You only took me to to uh, Canada's. It's new. Largest... It's new as of like a couple months. All right, I, yeah. I need to come back. I need to get Canada's largest burritos, which are not that large. They're normal size. Yes, the largest ever. I took Kate there and a couple for and Sienna and and a, another friend a couple weeks ago. Like, do you want the the island's largest regular size burritos? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, like you're really selling it. Yeah, they're perfectly large. It's just not whatever. Okay, so yes, vegan, super happy, uh, still still weigh 240 pounds. I'm still a large human being. I have not withered away into nothingness without protein. And I feel great almost all of the time unless I eat a little bit of dairy. And then I feel like absolute trash. And I'm like, oh, this is why I don't eat this stuff anymore. So Tesla, how's the Tesla going? Oh, this is fun. I'm so glad that I actually own this thing now after talking with you about it for years. <laughs> so we got our Model 3 earlier this month as of recording this in May. And what's kind of funny about it. So we pre-ordered the Model 3 on the day that reservations came out two years ago. We were ready, put a thousand dollars down. And with the idea that like, you know, we didn't want to buy it at that time. So we were kind of happy there was a runway. We had a fully paid off car. And so, you know, having some time to wait was totally fine. And beginning of this year, Tesla was having all the production issues with the Model 3, really not from a semblance of like they don't know what they're doing, but it's because they're trying to create systems that can crank out like 500 cars per day because the demand is so enormous. And so we, we got an email that was like, you were supposed to set it up in February, but now it's going to be July. And so this was like February or March. And we we're like, oh, OK, that's fine. You know, it gives us a couple more months to wait. We don't mind. And then it was like, like one week before we got our reservation email, I told Caroline, I was like, I bet you out of nowhere, we're going to get a reservation email soon. Like I just see it coming. And literally like a week later, we got the email. And so did the reservation thing online, which basically just meant picking our, our features for our Model 3, the paint color, the wheel size, that stuff, the long range battery. Uh, the only thing we didn't get, so fully spec'd out, our Model 3 was $57,500, which is $20,000 more than the like base price. Yeah, because we wanted the long range battery, we wanted the, you know, somewhat autonomous driving. It's not the absolutely fully autonomous driving, but you can upgrade to that whenever you want. Our road systems are at least five to 10 years away from that being a thing, no matter what. So I wasn't worried about it. Yeah. And, and the process was super painless. You fill out like your information, your insurance, like you do all this stuff online. You get a person who emails you who's extremely friendly and excited for you to have this car. And they're answering all these questions and they're telling you what's going to go on. And we went to a Tesla delivery center. Walked in, there was a little plaque with our name on it, like saying hello. Aww. I mean, it was just such a great experience. Uh, you know, this nice gentleman like showed us around our car for 30 minutes, like every single detail. If we had any questions, like we to do anything. And then, I mean, I would say handed us the key, but essentially just showed us how to download the app and get it set up. And we just drove away uh, in the car. So it's been it's been awesome. We are just about to hit a thousand miles. I just took the first road trip up to LA, which is like two hours, but LA traffic, it felt like a longer trip. 
it's really great. I mean, I will say that the fit and finish of everything is so good. Uh, I'm so glad we went with the three instead of the S because I was really on the fence between the two. And the newness and the simplicity of the interior of the three just like really speaks to the minimalist in me. Mm-hmm. And so Caroline really agrees with it as well. So we've been really happy. Yeah. You know, they just released an over-the-air update of fixing some issue where the braking wasn't as amazing as they wanted it to be in like a crash situation. So they just updated over the air, just update the software. Now it fixes that issue. You know, it's little things like that that are just kind of mind-blowing. I will say, because I don't want to just like preach the gospel of Tesla, there's only one center air conditioning vent in the car. And ours has a problem where it doesn't blow out of that vent all the time. Like sometimes it just goes up or down, which is super weird. So it's like the one thing where we're like, okay, this is where you realize you're buying a new car with the kind of new issues. We're going to have to take it in and get it serviced and they'll give us a loaner and it'll be fine. But, mm-hmm. you know, you kind of expect those things when you're getting the first iteration of a car that someone is building. It's completely custom. So, Have you noticed any like habits or routines around driving change from going from gas to electric? Uh, <laughs> driving by all the gas stations and just being like, oh, <laughs> yeah, laugh. I'm never going to stop at one of you again unless I want a LaCroix or something. You know, one thing that has been really interesting is is renting Teslas before. I probably rented 10 of them. I did have some of the range anxiety while driving of like, oh, the mileage is counting down. You know, I only have so many miles. I got to get to a charger. You know, now that we own the car, we have a charger in our garage that's actually like a 240 volt charger because all houses in California after 2015 have to be wired for that pre-wired. So this house that we live in is, is new. So it was pre-wired. So it was really easy to do that. I charge the car. I mean, we've had it for about a month now. I've probably charged it three times since we've had it. And we've put a thousand miles on it. So that's pretty equivalent to the 300 miles that you get in range per per charge. But how much does that cost electricity wise? Well, that's the lucky thing for us is our place is connected to a bigger house. So basically our landlord just pays the electric bill. We don't even pay the electric bill. Ooh. So, but it is Did really... you tell your landlord like, hey, we're buying an electric car? Oh yeah, for sure. He was excited. Yeah. He was like, I'm really pumped. And yeah. I was like, let us know if the electricity overage or whatever. Yeah. But from what I, I looked at, like all the little analytics things online. And um, if anybody really wants to geek out, you can watch a bunch of the videos by a guy named Ben Sullins. His channel is Tesla. Tesla Nomics. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Ben lives in San Diego. We met for coffee and he's just a super data nerd. Uh, the crunch stuff, but I watched a bunch of his videos to see like how much it would cost. And it's really, it's like 10 to $20 a month if you're charging full charge often. And we're not, like I said, we've only charged the car three times since we've been here and you can schedule the charge in off peak hours, which is kind of cool. So like you plug it in, you tell it you want it to start at 1am and it won't start charging until 1am and then it'll finish probably about like 5am. So you're in the most off peak time possible and you never even had to do anything. So it's pretty smart. That is cool. I like that. Yeah. That's really cool. All right. Those are those are all of my life things. I'm also still married to Caroline. We made it. Yes. You you, you made it. Your kids made it. I was, I was rooting for you. Yeah. Yeah. We made it. Yeah. So first, I want to talk about your book. Mm. You hadn't launched your page about the book to publishing to the publishing industry last season. I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah. So you wrote a book. You finished a book. You wanted to see if traditional publishing would work for it. So what did you do? You know, I know what you did, but let's fill in the the listeners. Yeah, yeah. So this book is like, this is going to be the book that takes the longest to explain to anybody the entire journey of it, (laughs) which I'm not going to do now because I think we talked about some last time. And so I'll just fill in gaps. But I created a page called DearBookPublisher.com. And I remember telling you about this idea on Slack, like when I first had it, because I always tell you all my first ideas. You tell Twitter, I tell you, uh, which is fine. I'm not bitter. No, seriously, it doesn't matter. 
But I, I had this idea of basically writing a public letter to the book publishing industry, to agents and publishers and saying, hey, this book is titled Do It Differently. So I'm not just going to do a book proposal process like anybody else would. I'm writing this page directly to you. And it's basically saying, like, if you like this, this different way of doing this, you're going to like this book in my story. And so I published this page. I've essentially said, like, hey, uh, if anybody's interested, you have like two or three weeks that so you can reach out to me. And then I'm going to take this page down. And if there's no interest, I'm just going to self-publish this book like I did my last one. And, you know, no harm, no foul. So I, I had a, a handful of people reach out, a handful of publishers, no, no real big publishers, to be honest, a bunch of smaller indie publishers, a couple really weird ones, which I probably shouldn't be surprised about because it's a weird idea. And then a couple agents reached out and one was just really awesome. So we had multiple calls and she was really cool. And she just, she really got the book. And, and there's a little alien character named Roy who like accompanies you throughout the journey of the book that I put on this Dear Publisher page. And she loved Roy. Like she was just, and that to me was like a perfect moment of like, okay, I should work with this person. So she and I uh, agreed to terms. I signed a literary agent contract with her and her agency Stonesong. Her name is Layla Campbell. Um, she's been so awesome to work with. So she took my dear publisher site and put that into a conventional book proposal format because she told me she was like, no publisher is going to give you the time of day. Like, it's just how they work. They're so old school. So we crafted that and we made it our own and everything. I went back and forth, did the proposal thing. That was actually a really nice process to have done the Dear Book Publisher site because the book proposal didn't feel unbelievably daunting, which I know you know is just like, it's like writing a full book in itself, that mm -hmm. process. So for me, that became much easier. We whipped that together in probably like two weeks-ish. Caroline did a format of it, so it looked really nice. And then this actually, it just finished up May 15th, which was my birthday. We sent out, or Layla sent out, I didn't send it out. She sent out the book proposal to people. So we're recording this at the very end of May, and we're just waiting for editors to get back. She has sent me a few emails that people were really excited about it. They really liked the vibe of it. And, you know, now I think it's just a waiting game. And I'm just kind of sitting here going, if something comes through, cool. I'm happy to talk to people about it. If it doesn't, I'm sure there's a time frame in which Layla's going to be like, okay, there was no interest. Like, no harm, no foul. Let's move on. And you just do your thing and I'll do my thing. So we'll see kind of how that goes. I wish I had like a, and I signed a deal, but I don't have that yet. Like that hasn't happened on this book yet. So she didn't give a deadline to people? No, she knew the Memorial Day holiday yeah. here in the US was going to be like kind of in the middle of sending this out. Like people were going to be warming up to that holiday and then winding down afterwards. So I think this week she's going to put the pressure on people is kind of what I gathered from her. And cool. then we'll kind of see what happens from there. Nice. So. All right. Yeah. So we'll see. Yeah. So I guess the the next thing is how are you pronouncing the acronym WAME? Wame. Okay. Yeah, we're going WAME. Yeah. That's the biggest thing you've got right now, I'm assuming. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, how you have kind of and this is interesting. I, I've told you this on multiple occasions. You need your own WAME. Really, I could see you getting to this because it just is going to make things hopefully knock on wood so much easier for us. So over the years, I created all these different projects, software projects, courses, and things. In 2015, I started by My Future, which I would imagine a lot of our listeners had heard about. And then that changed into By Our Future in 2017 with my wife and I combining all of our stuff. And essentially, people pay a one-time fee, and they get all of our stuff, and they never pay us again. And that was great. I mean, we were making over $250,000 a year from those projects. And it's not something to poo-poo about. I mean, that's a fantastic living. We are so happy with that. And we love the uniqueness of it. However, I kind of zoomed the lens out a little bit and just kind of thought, I don't think this is a sustainable model forever. You know, I just, I really like it, but I would like to get to a place where 
I don't have to worry about launching something because that's what we're doing. We're doing two times a year launches. Like if a major national event happens or international event or just world event happens during a launch, it can really screw us over. And it actually happened to us. The last launch that we did, we paused for a week because there was like a mass shooting during our launch, which is crazy. So we don't control that. Yeah. So that just really got me kind of nervous about this like launch model and all, you know, and this stuff where the, the income runs its course and runs out. So Wandering Aimfully is combining my wife's site, Made Vibrant, my site, Jason Does Stuff, and the Spire Future Project into a monthly payment of $100 a month. That's what we're starting it at. The existing members, we did a little pre-order launch uh, earlier this month, and we got 15 people to sign up who couldn't even get access to anything yet, but they're basically our first paying members. And then all of our existing users get just kind of moved into Wandering Aimfully. Uh, they'll never pay for it. They just get kind of grandfathered. Or So all the, the Buy My Future people just become yep. Wandering Aimfully members. Yep. Okay, and never you. pay. They don't, they don't start paying yeah. for anything. And so they're actually getting access today as a record. We, I had to like push back you and I getting on the microphone because of this. There's just so many little things. I mean, we essentially have built a software product for the dashboard. It's insane, all the stuff that we tried to do. And that's just because we had a dashboard before for the past two years. And we could have just stuck with that. But I just knew the experience could have been better. So that's kind of everything that we're thinking about with Wandering Aimfully is like, we've done things a certain way. We've, we've followed certain models. We've done things that work. But like, we want to do stuff that's a little bit riskier, that's a little bit bigger, that just feels a lot more custom and feels a lot more like no one's doing this thing in this way. Um, and to me, that's what's going to make Wandering Aimfully stand out. So it'll be a, you know, a front-facing website like we have now with articles and you know guides and other things like we've been doing. And then this membership will be a paid membership where you get access to the community, all the courses, the software, the things. And we're just hoping that we build up this predictable runway or this predictable revenue. And we have an enough number. So we want to hit 300 paying members in a year. And by the end of that year, that will give us $30,000 recurring revenue per month. And I'm sure we'll have some churn that, you know, that'll churn out. So we'll add some new people in. But our goal is not to get a thousand paying customers. Like we don't care about that. We want to get to a number that's super sustainable for us. And it feels like the community won't get too big. And we're only allowing 30 people to join a month so that we can really control everything. I like that. Yeah. So that is Wandering Aimfully, <laughs> or nice. as we're calling, WAME. And we know that it's not going to be an easy process to get 300 paying customers. Like we're, we're ready and willing to do everything it takes to make that happen. But we do have a good track record. Like what? What are you doing? I'm going back into YouTube world quite a bit. So I saw I saw that when on your analytics post. We have three segments that we're going to do on YouTube on a weekly basis, which is daunting because I used to do a daily video on YouTube and it really burned me out. And that's going to be for everybody or just for Wayne? That's for everybody. Okay. So we're kind of looking at YouTube as our kind of casting a wide net to try and attract people because YouTube is just, I mean, it has really exploded in popularity. I think a lot of people spend more time on YouTube than they do on other social sites these days, especially because you can really pick what you want and you don't get fed a whole bunch of other crap in your feed. So we're going to do three segments. We're going to do a Wandering Inflate show, which is essentially what my Action Army podcast was, but now Caroline's joining and we're going to sit across from each other every week and talk about relationships and business and, you know, hopefully a bunch of silly stuff. So that's one segment. So we're going to record video of that, and then that will become a podcast. And then we're going to do Tesla Tuesdays, which we're going to talk about, A, owning a Tesla and what it's like. And then B, we want to try and cover the $1,000 per month car payment we have through a product that, that we can get up to make that amount of money every month. So this is a separate product from Wayne that you want to do? Yeah. Okay. So we're... We're initially, we were thinking about doing Caroline's Better Branding course because... But Wayne people will get access to that course. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So the idea is really like, if you were, were to watch Tesla Tuesdays, 
It's for someone to come there and go like, oh, I have a product or two that's not doing much. Maybe I could think about that not being a full-time income. And it literally just covers this thing that I wanted in my life. For us, that's a Tesla. So how can we build up better branding on the side, unrelated to wandering aimfully, doing, you know, whatever we're going to do and talk about that in these weekly videos of like, here's exactly what we did. You know, we trusted some Facebook ads. We did some affiliate calls or whatever, that type of stuff. I don't think we're actually going to do affiliate calls. I was just giving that as an example, but to actually walk people through that stuff um, along with it. So I just think it's a, could be a fun juxtaposition. Yeah. I like that. Cause I know I need eight, I need to sell eight courses a month to cover my mortgage. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And, And I think it's fun if you have like a, a finite thing where you can say, this is what I need. This is how many I need to get there. How am I doing that? And so that's really kind of what we want to talk about on the show. So we'll see. I don't know. I mean, it, and the third video is a weekly check-in, which is much easier. It's just us sitting, kind of talking about how things are going. I could see that one going away. And that one just becoming like once a month, we do kind of a story-based video because we kind of want to do a little bit of storytelling stuff and then just do the check-in on our podcast because I think that actually makes sense. And we've been talking about that as well. So That's really going to be kind of the big thing. And then the other is just a huge content audit of the 400 articles that we have combined and trying to take a good amount of them and condense them into like one really epic article on starting and running your own online business or starting and building an online course or whatever. And just like really trying to go super deep on those topics and make them really actionable and helpful and hope that Google rewards us and shows that to people who are searching for those things. Nice. Or DuckDuckGo. What, what, or DuckDuckGo. <laughs> no, yeah. I know why people don't use it. It sucks. <laughs> it's just bad. I almost want you to write the article of how to optimize for DuckDuckGo search results <laughs> and like just a really satirical, funny article. Would be oh, funny. God. Oh, God. How many quacks has my site got today? <laughs> the, and that's the thing. Like, I like the premise behind it and I like the re, like privacy focused search engine, but like, just make it good. Yeah. Like, and that's the thing with. Fathom's open source. There are so many shitty open source projects. There are so many ugly open source projects. It's synonymous with like being engineering focused or developer focused and not giving a shit about the UI. I'm like, why can't it be both? Like Ghost is a great example of doing it well. Yeah. Ghost is open source. And that's kind of the model we're we're after as well. Is like they have an open source version, but then if you want to not have to deal with servers, then just have pay for the hosted version. And then the paid hosted version covers all of the work that goes into running an open source project, which is a lot of work. Yeah. We woke up today and I think there was like 12 comments on our repo because we it's public now, even though we're not really promoting it yet because it's not ready yet. But yeah, there was 12 comments just from people and we have no control over that. Just like, oh, I found this or maybe do this or do that. Like, it's work. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I was going to say uh, one thing to touch on the YouTube thing before I forget, because I just think it'll yes. be fun for people is... I don't want to get stuck in the trappings of subscriber growth and viewership on videos and those things. Like we're making the content because we want to make it, not because we have to hit certain metrics. So I had a, I I just tweeted randomly, like, could anybody build a Chrome extension that blocks me from being able to see (laughs) my subscribers and YouTube views? And sure enough, a guy named Ashik uh, wrote back and within a week, he built this little Chrome extension called Less Vanity Metrics. You can search for it and you can find it. (laughs) It's free in the Chrome store. You plug it in and it, it's kind of funny because it'll actually do it for other people's <laughs> accounts as well because it's just hiding the divs, right? Yeah, like that's yeah. all it's really doing behind the scenes. You, you understand that. Yeah. The nerds out there will get that. But it's really fun. So like I upload a video until I wrote that analytics article that you ref- referenced earlier because we with Wandering Gameplay, we're kind of writing this journal behind the scenes, which is an incredible amount of work anyway. I didn't know how many subscribers we had. Like I had a general idea because Caroline mentioned it or whatever, but it was like the first time I'd seen how many total views we've had, like this type of stuff. And I kind of like it because now that I don't see those numbers every day, I don't obsess over it. And it's just a logical thing, maybe not logical, 
it's the thing that our brains do with this type of stuff. So I'm really glad to have like a little tool like that that's kind of keeping me out of that world. I'm going to keep that thing on forever so I can just keep creating. Nice. There should be the same for like every social network. Oh, right. Exactly. Like not like not seeing followers or follows on Twitter would be cool or not seeing like retweets the number beside the favorites and the retweets. Yeah. 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 Because then you're not just following social signals. You're like, okay, this is I don't care how many people retweeted this or favorited this. I'm gonna do it. It is. Yeah, it is good. Yeah. So, so whoever's listening that wants to build that plugin, do it. (laughs) Yeah, we'll use it. We will. Yeah, we'll install it and we'll tell people about it. Okay, next up, let's talk about, we talked about your pack. So I think we are going to shutter your pack at some point this year. So we'll just kind of move on from that one. Uh, I don't look at that as a failure. I look at that as more just like, we tried it, it didn't work. Let's stop thinking about it. Yeah. It's not going to be a big deal. And I think we shouldn't have built it in the first place because we tried to pre-sell it. And I think only one or two people bought it. So we should have used that. Should have been a like we should have, clear indicator. Yeah, because yeah. we've told people that like use pre-orders as a clear indicator. And then we're like, yeah, yeah <laughs> oh, whatever. Yeah, it's fine. We'll, it's, e- it's easy enough to build. Poor Zach. God, we love you, Zach. So Bump Sale is actually getting completely redesigned and it's almost done. Ooh. Funny enough, the the guy that I started my first design company with in 2005, who I haven't talked to probably in like eight or nine years, is doing the UI and UX work for Bump Sale. I didn't even know that. My my co-founder still talks with him all the time in Florida. And so he just wanted like a pet project. And so he took it on. So nice. I've seen it. It looks beautiful. So Bump Sale is actually going to get a, a nice revamp. We're going to finally have PayPal as a buying option, which is just a nightmare to do. Oh, yeah. But I'm excited for that. So new Bump Sale should be out pretty soon. And kind of interesting in that. So my co-founder, Conrad, of Bump Sale, is also my co-founder of Spruce. And Spruce Metrics has had a very tumultuous uh, roller coaster of a ride. We've been through now four developers. My partner, Matt, who I originally started with, uh, is no longer a part of it. Totally amicable, no issues whatsoever. He just, you know, admitted like, I can't run a software company. It just doesn't work for me. So we, we got to this place where we had the version of Spruce that we originally built. It was working. You could integrate with stuff, but it just like it doesn't do anything for you. And that really drove me insane. Like, I don't need another spreadsheet. I need Spruce to tell me stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I designed up what I think will be really cool kind of weekly reports that Spruce will sp- send you based on your traffic, uh, your email subscribers and your revenue. And it'll actually tell you things that you can improve or that things are happening. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So that's going to be a really nice change. However, this is where I was talking about the mental bandwidth thing with you is that like, we both decided, Conrad and I, like the existing Spruce as it sits is taking a mental space because people have issues. They have uh, an integration changes. Like I think MailChimp changed something in their API or whatever. And for some reason, it affected us and like almost no one else. I don't know why. So we had to go in and fix that. And like, we don't control that. So basically, we decided to shut down Spruce indefinitely with the decision that we need the mental space that it takes to keep it running just a little bit with Fixtail. Like it's like one or two emails a month. Like for us, it was probably one or two emails a week. Because we do have like 300 people using it. Yeah. We couldn't deal with it. It was just taking way too much time. And I really think it was affecting Conrad, uh, my developer, on trying to work through the new uh, design that we want. So Spruce is currently shut down, but I think it's actually just a really good example of like, we were super scared to do it. We were afraid of the backlash, all this stuff. We had two people ask for refunds, which we said no to because they signed up a year and a half ago and they bought a founding membership. And we said, hey, listen, this is what we said you would opt in for. And by the way, you've used this for a year and a half. Like it's existed for plenty of time. Also, if you're not going to support us when we're in our downtimes, like, why would you become a founding member? You know, that was just a weird thing to do. But yeah, so that's kind of cleaned a little bit of uh, of my plate and like moved some resources over for especially Wandering Aimfully, which has just needed so much time and energy. Mm-hmm. 
So yeah, and then I think the last thing I have is Tea Tree. Yes. So Tea Tree has just been, it's just been kind of humming along. I mean, it you know, we have our little customer group. We have a good amount of monthly recurring revenue. It's like $6,000 monthly recurring revenue. It grows very small amounts by itself. And I've just been thinking, you know, like I'll watch our mutual friend, Brendan Dunn, who just launched Right Message, which I absolutely love. And we're going to be using Right Message a ton on Wandering Aimfully. And like he's grown from zero to $20,000 monthly recurring revenue in like five months. And it's almost disheartening to watch that because I'm like, oh, I have Tea Tree and that's been around for three years. And we're like, <laughs> stuck at this. But then I think about it, I'm like, Brennan's going to conferences. He's hosting webinars. He's having calls with people. He's doing stuff like, I don't want to do any of that. And so if I don't want to do that, I can't expect to just have this money fall into my lap. And so it's been kind of like a, a mental battle for me of wanting that to grow, but not wanting to do the work to get it to grow, which I just think is kind of like a creator dilemma. You yeah. know, it's just one of those things you kind of get stuck in. Uh, I don't know if you wanted to talk about anything, but we do have people who, you know, will email in and ask for the weirdest shit that they want Teachery to do. And it's like, <laughs> hey, can I have it integrate directly into my Infusionsoft? And then when someone clicks a button in my email, can it trigger them unlocking a lesson? I'm like, what? Like, uh, first of all, no. Second of all, yeah. what are you doing? Yeah. Does your business even make money? And it's so funny to me. I don't know if you've seen this on people's WordPress sites that you've had to like go in and fix with WP Complete, but you're like, what do you even have here? You know, like uh, I could pop into the users and see you have like four actual customers and that would be kind of rude, but it's the truth. And we'll do that with Tea Tree. Like I'll look at some of these people who are emailing in. They're like, I want all this and this. And they've literally never even sold the course. Yeah. Never even one sale or maybe one or two. And they want all this. And they think that like all this customization is going to save them and be the saving grace for their sales. It's never that stuff. Yeah, same. I see the most complicated setups ever that I can't like I live and breathe courses and I try to work through somebody's UI or like just the interface. Like, okay, I'm a, I'm a new student. I've logged in for the first time. I don't know what to do. I have to email these people like, okay, just tell me where your first lesson is so I can diagnose the problem. And it's hard. Like on yeah. one hand, I want to be, I want to sit them down and have like a stern <laughs> talking to them about like why simple is actually better. And like, it's because people are like, oh, it needs to do this. It needs to do this. And then I'll, like, I'll show them one of my courses, which has like two plugins yep. and it's just a white screen. I'm like, I don't know, this sold like $100,000 last yeah, year. Yeah. And they're like, well, it has to do all the stuff or nobody's going to buy it. Yeah, like yeah. all this like weird gamification stuff. I'm like, I don't think it has to do all those things no. necessarily. You're just covering up for mediocre content. That's all I've realized. Yeah. And people like they ask for features that I don't even understand. Like if the feature takes four pages of writing to explain to me and I still don't get it. <laughs> yeah. We're not going to build it. Yeah. And every time they're like, oh, can we just hire you to develop this custom? I'm like, that's not how software companies work. Yeah. Like, hire a freelancer. There's lots of freelancers. They can take it and run with it. And that's why we are spending between ten dollars and $15,000 on the Wandering Aimfully dashboard that we built. Because we wanted a specific thing that did exactly what we wanted. So as someone yeah. who builds stuff, I knew that I had to build that on my own the way that I wanted. And I had to pay for that because... There was no system that I could go and be like, okay, I'm going to use Tea Tree and then I need to have like Zach build something on the side for this. And then like, oh, maybe Paul can code something for me in WordPress. Like, no, I'm going to have a developer build the vision that we want and I'm going to like crank that out and it's going to work. So it is an investment and it is something where you have to say like, I'm willing to put this money. But for us too, we had two years of experience of knowing the thing that we're selling works. So like now we can invest in it. And I think so many people start from the beginning of that to go like, I need all the bells and whistles and I need to pay for all this stuff. It's like, no, you need the simplest, best version of that thing and get people to pay for it. 
yeah, your customers want ease. Yeah, exactly. You might want something different, but your customers probably just want easy and simple. Yeah. All right. I don't think I have any other business stuff that I wanted to share, but I did want to ask you one final question, and it's more about process and work stuff. I saw a tweet that you have switched over to Adobe XD. Oh, yeah. How do you feel? Oh, my God. So for the longest time, I just feel old because (laughs) I've been using Photoshop since probably the 90s. I don't even remember when I I don't remember not using Photoshop. And as much as I like it, I do see how it's slow. And I have like the fastest Mac, iMac, not the iMac Pro, but the iMac available. There's so many things that I never like. There's so many buttons and features I just don't ever use. Yep. And I noticed that like it was take my process was needlessly long. Like if I decided after doing like 15 artboards of like UI design and I wanted to change the color of a typeface or a typeface, <laughs> I would have to go to every single one and change it. Yep. So I was like, there's got to be a better way. And a bunch of people were talking about like Sketch and XD. I tried Sketch. I couldn't figure it out. I felt stupid and old. So I deleted it, even though I paid for it. <laughs> and I was like, okay, let's just play with XD for a day. Yep. I figured out XD as I was building the interface for Pico. And it took me a third of the time to build all the UI components for Pico as it would have taken me in Photoshop. And I had to learn how to use XD during the process. And it still saved me. 66% of my time. Yeah. So I was like, whoa. Yeah. This is like next level. And you probably do it in Figma. You probably do it in Sketch. You probably do it in fuck whatever in Vision Studio. Like you probably do that, all this stuff. Like this stuff probably isn't new. But for me, it was like all the hotkeys from Photoshop are the same in XD. Yeah. The interface is similar enough, but it's like a minimalist took Photoshop. It was like <laughs> 90% of this stuff you don't need. It's like looking at people's course dashboards. Yeah. Like you don't need all of this stuff. There's like three shapes, text, selector, and pen tool. There's literally like on the left-hand side where you yeah. have the icons. There's like eight things. But is the plastic wrap filter still there? Oh, the like bevel and emboss? (laughs) Yeah. yeah. No, there's none of that. Damn it. Uh, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. No, I I love that you, I saw this tweet that you switched because Caroline basically stumbled into XD when she started designing Wandering Aimfully and it has changed her life. Yep. I mean, she just, she lives in XD now and and everything we're doing in it. It's kind of interesting because we're, we're actually looking at Webflow as kind of the next thing that she really wants to invest and learn because it's basically like XD plus coding all in one, uh, which is kind of really interesting for those of us who are not like you, who just like can go in and literally write stuff from scratch. And I like doing that. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But I do think it's kind of fun that you've switched over to XD as well and, and just how happy Caroline's been. So for any designers out there, you probably should take a look into, I mean, I would say specifically XD because I looked at Sketch as well and I kind of felt the same way you did where I was like, you guys, I feel like you guys just tried to make Photoshop, but like with some less features, but there's still a lot of features here. Yeah. And I think XD is free, even if you don't have a cloud subscription, which if you have a cloud subscription and it's running out, argue with them about the price and they will drop it down. Oh, nice. I think I argued them down to 40% of what they wanted for the yearly price just on chat. Yeah. I was just like, this is too much money. Like, I think I'm going to quit. And they're like, well, how about this? I'm like, that's ah, still too much money. I think, and like, I got it down to like 40% of what the cost was. The other thing is, XD also has all this like flow stuff. So you can connect artboards to other artboards. Like if I want to share a Photoshop file, one, it's huge. Yeah. Like there are hundreds of megs. I did, I think, 14 screens in XD and it's like six megs. Amazing. It's insane. 
I can click share, it creates a web page with all of the flows and you can click through it. You can zoom in and zoom out. You can see all of the fonts and the font sizes. You can see the color swatches. It's just like, this is doing all the things I need. Yeah, it's it's been really great. I mean, we've been sharing wow. it with like our developer and things and it just, yeah. it makes it so much easier because otherwise you were like exporting PNGs and even those were enormous. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's just good stuff. So I, I thought it would be fun to kind of, as we wrapped up this episode about the things we're working on, talk about like a process-based thing because... Old dogs can learn new tricks. We certainly can, Paul. Although... I'm 40 now. <laughs> yeah. I'm, you, I'm you can still, you can do it. So, well, awesome. I think it's been fun to uh, to recap all the crap we've been working on. I hope our listeners were equal parts scared, but, but then also excited for us uh, because we do, I think we do take on a lot more than most people do, but I think it's also, like I mentioned, we really relish the process and enjoy the process of creating, going through that, like solving all the problems, you know, chasing down an idea and seeing what happens. And then, you know, having the luxury of deciding, Hey, you know what? Like I'm going to shut this down. Didn't work. I like that. I was able to try this out and you know, it didn't, I'm okay with that. I'm quitting because I need room for other things. Totally. So yeah, I think that's I think that's a good end. Oh, one of my photos was on Grey's Anatomy. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's huge. Uh, Although it's not huge at all. How rich are you? What like what happened? How many millions of dollars popped up? Yeah, well, I'm gonna have a money fight. Uh, <laughs> no, it was a photo from Unsplash. It was totally free. I had a lot of photographers just yelling at me. They're like, "You're devaluing creative oh, work. You I don't s- understand." Like, I saw that. Look, bro, you're not gonna talk to me about creative work because I've done like this has been my life as like a musician, as an artist, as a writer, as a designer. Like, don't fucking come at me, bro. So yeah. it's just like Peter. Unsplash is awesome because it gives people who aren't professionals a place to share cool photos. Yeah. If you can't make money professionally off of something, then that's something that you need to figure out and like reposition and like work through creative class or something. Yeah. And like get that working. But like, don't come at me for that. But still, like, it was cool to like see in Grey's Anatomy. Like, I think that's my phone. And then I like paused and then I was like <laughs> looking on Unsplash. I'm like, judge it because it's a picture of like where I live, like where you even film some of uh, that beach where you film some yeah. of by my future. And I was like looking at the trees. I'm like, is that the, is that, that can't be the same picture. And like looking at the <laughs> trees and the shapes of the outcroppings, I'm like, that is my picture. That's my picture. That's so my cool. picture's on Grey's Anatomy. Did they also put some shapes on it? Did I see that? Like, there yeah, was there's like, like okay. three circles or so. Cause the, the picture was too boring otherwise. Yeah. I remember looking, I was like, it just threw some random shapes on there. Like, yep. would you do this photo? Can you imagine though? Like, how many things have you not seen where maybe something else is in it? You know, that's kind of a fun thing to think about. That photo has been downloaded 15 million times. Wow. Like, I'm sure it's in other, I'm sure it's in other places. Yeah, I, you know, hilariously enough, I never have looked at my Unsplash stats just because I've uploaded maybe 50 photos total. Same. Yeah. I looked after that. I got an email from them that was like, hey, this photo is currently trending. It had 100,000 downloads last month. And I was like, wait, what? Ugh. And it's this photo I took of a surfer in the sunset. And the photo has like oh, yeah, 5 that. million downloads. And I was like, wait, what? But it's also really funny because it's like, it's 5 million downloads and I've never heard from anybody ever on it. You know, it's it's one of those things that like, it doesn't really even matter. But I don't know, maybe mine will show up on like, yeah. uh, what do I want? I would love... General Hospital, you know, like a nice soap. I really wanted to show up on. Does that still exist? I don't know. I just I tried to think of something really old and weird. <laughs> sorry, General Hospital fans. Actually, no, I'm not sorry at all. Yeah, exactly. All right, everybody. We'll talk to you in the next episode. We hope you enjoyed the season. Do the thingies on iTunes if that's something that you actually care about doing. And if not, we don't really care. You know, it's fine. We appreciate you. Bye. Bye.